0: Welcome to First Baptist Church of Terrytown, sharing God's love and hope around the world. Our prayer is that your life is transformed as you hear the Word of God preached today. Quick show of hands, how many of you think that you had a relatively good week last week? Uh, anyone had a relatively good week last week? All right, who relatively had a not good week last week? You know, just show of hands. Yeah, it's about 50-50. How many of you are undetermined? It's just like it's life that's about, yeah, it's a third raised their hand for one, a third for the other, and a third just abstained from voting. Regardless of whether you had a good week or, or not, we realize that there are always going to be difficulties down the way, don't we? I know Martin Luther, quoting the book of Revelation, said that humanity has four great enemies, war, famine, plague, and pestilence. And those are things that we face. Right now, there's, there's a war going on, major wars in two fronts in the world, and it affects us. If you don't believe so, uh, talk to your Jewish friends, talk to your Muslim friends. It absolutely affects us here in the States. In fact, there was a, uh, uh, an act of anti-Semitism just this week in, in Westchester County, not far from here, it it affects us. It's hard. It's difficult. How do we respond when calamities come into our lives? Plague. Ah, well, we don't deal with plagues, do we? Except for we do, right? We went through the COVID-19 plague, but it's not just that. So many of you have loved ones who are sick, are hurt, are dying. Or maybe you yourself has a chronic illness. How do we respond to those calamities? And by the way, with COVID-19, I can't say this enough, is we are only now starting to process the trauma of what we went through in that two-and-a-half, three-year period. You can't process trauma of your house burning down while the house is burning and you're still inside. Right? And so now, if you are having troubles, and, and if you look at all the surveys Americans are doing terribly mentally, and why are we doing so terribly? Because we are only now starting to process all of the difficulties that we went through in that period of time. It's good to know that that's what you're doing rather than just saying, why am I so miserable? Because you're processing what you just went through. Pestilence. Oh, we don't deal with that. There's not like weevils coming and eating all of our crops. Except they are. You've seen food prices. Some of those are because of the pandemic. Others are because of issues we've had with crops. And as our own, as our own missionary, Michael Ture was talking to me privately, uh, he, he said this about food prices here, which I mean, how many of you are happy with food prices right now? The funniest thing I saw during the Christmas season was someone says, hey, Black Friday. Forget about dropping the prices of TV. How about you give me a discount on some of these groceries? <laughs> it's like, yeah. And, and uh, Michael Turay, he pointed out, he said, you know, when America's food prices go up, you, you, we pay more. But that means someone else in the world is starving. Right? Because they can't afford the cost of food, or they don't have access to the food that we have, that we have to pay more for. How do we respond to that kind of calamity? Um, We have so much difficulties in our life. And and if you don't have it right now, (laughs) cheer up. It will come. There will be tragedy. There will be sorrow. There will be hardships. Personally, just this last week, I lost a brother in Christ. I lost a sister in Christ. And it's hard. It's hard, and it was in a case where it's like, I can't go to the funeral service, I can't go to the memorial service. And it is really difficult. In fact, uh, the sister who passed away, she is the mother of one of my close and dear friends, who, who is candidating for a position at a church, and they are voting today on his first pastorate. And like three days before his first pastorate is being voted upon by his church, His mother passes away. How should we respond to these tragedies? How should we, believers in Christ, followers of Jesus, how should we respond to calamity when it comes into our lives, when it's in the world around us and when it's in our lives right now? We're continuing our journey through 1 Samuel. And we're in chapter four. This natural unit starts in verse 12, but we'll back up just for a little bit of context and go up to chapter 10. And it says, the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and they fled every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And the ark of God was captured and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas died. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and with dirt on his head. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told the news, the city cried out. So this was a devastating loss. Israel was trying to use the ark of God as some sort of talisman that would guarantee their victory. And God said, no, 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 no. I don't get on your plans. You get on mine. I'm not showing up for this. And so the loss was massive. 30,000 soldiers died. And not only that, but the Ark of God, which is where God said, I will meet Israel at the Ark, was captured by the Philistines, by pagans. It was a, oh, it was a, we'll get back there. It was a massive loss as the Ark of the Covenant was taken. And how did Israel respond to this? Well, this uh, runner comes, it's about 18 miles If you look at a Bible map, not quite a marathon, but pretty impressive and further than I would ever want to run in my entire life. Any marathon runners here? Anyone ever run a marathon before? God bless you all. It's good. I'm impressed. Uh, (laughs) His clothes are torn, dirts on his head. Eli, the high priest, the judge of Israel, he's sitting on a seat by the road watching... His heart trembled for the ark of God. But the man came to the city, so Eli's on the opposite side of the city, which is kind of weird, right? opposite side of where the battle is facing. And he comes in, he tells the news, and the entire city weeps and wails. Is this a good response to tragedy and calamity? I think so. I think it's a great response. Think about our own tragedies. How did you respond when you heard about 9-11? You remember? It was awful. I remember I was just north of here at uh, SUNY Orange, and I was in between classes. It was a perfect fall day, as we all know and all remember. And I'm sitting there, and these two guys came up, and they were kind of weird. And they're like, man, we're going home. We're really scared. I'm like, what's going on? They're like, well, they canceled classes because what's going on? "What, What are you talking about? And they're like, you didn't hear? So they told me what happened. And I was like, these guys were a little weird to begin with. So I was like, I, guys I don't know and they're like oh no yeah, like go into the library and find out and so I went to the library and they had TVs going on and and they the uh, librarian told me that classes were canceled for the rest of the day and I, was just, I was just absolutely shocked and I didn't even know what to do I was so much in shock I just started wandering around campus any other day they say hey classes are canceled what do you do oh yeah you get in your car and go I was just wandering around and I ran into my anatomy and physiology teacher and I said, hey, did you hear the news? And she got this big smile on her face. She's like, yeah, I heard the news. It's like something out of a sci-fi show, isn't it? And I am just horrified. Like, that is not the right response. It absolutely wasn't. I, so I eventually got in my car, I turned on Christian radio, they're all, oh, what's happening? And, and I drove right to my church and I, you know, some of the staff was there and we prayed with each other and talked about it, it was just horrible. That is the correct way to respond to tragedy, to calamity. It's just this weeping and wailing that we see ancient Israel do. Or you think about more contemporary times. You look at the news and you see that kids were killed in a a drunk driving accident. Oh, just horrible. Or I, I saw another case where it was the kids survived, but their parent who was sitting in the front seat passed away in front of them. How do you respond to that? How should we respond to calamity? Well, they started off well. They wept. they wailed, they cried. Verse 14, when Eli, remember he's the high priest, he's the judge, he's the guy who's supposed to represent Israel to God. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, What is the uproar? Then the man hurried and came and told Eli, now, Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were set that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, Eli said, how did it go, my son? I mean, Eli doesn't want the answer to this, does he? He doesn't really want, he knows how it goes. You just hear an outcry of people crying and wailing and screaming. And he's not thinking like, oh, he got good news here. I had a friend uh, just recently called me, and I, I was just like, oh, hey, how's it going? And immediately I could hear in his voice. I answered that phone poorly. <laughs> hey, it's great to hear. I, I literally said, hey, it's great to hear from you. And his voice cracked, and it was not good news. I don't know about you. I hate getting phone calls at 2 in the morning. Or I also hate getting phone calls from my Uncle Stan. Now, I love my Uncle Stan. We actually text back and forth every so often, you know, and I I enjoy him. But you know what? When Uncle Stan calls, it's like getting a call at 2 o'clock in the morning. What happens when somebody calls you at 2 o'clock in the morning? Always bad news. They're like, hey, how's it going? You know, like, that's never I was just thinking about you, you know. It's always bad news. 2 o'clock, usually someone has died. In fact, it's gotten so bad, I see Uncle Stan calling on the phone, and I just want to answer, who died? (laughs) But I don't, even though that's always what it is. It's just horrible. It's hard. Eli knows what's happening here. He hears the wails. He hears the cries. He's old, but he's not dumb. Verse 17, he... Who brought the news? Answered and said, "Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phineas, are dead, and the Ark of God has been captured. This is horrible news. It does not get worse than this for him." Your sons are dead. God had prophesied because of his, his sons were not good people, we know. They were uh, abusing the, the sacrifice. They were mocking the name of God. They were abusing people at the tent um, and violating them. It was, it was terrible. And God had prophesied that he would bring judgment on them. But still, Eli loved them, and his two sons are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. Well, God promised Israel, God will meet. Israel at the ark and now it is gone and in the ancient world there was a pervading belief it's not taught this in the bible but people believed this in pagan nations and I'm sure there are many Israelites who believe this that when people went to war their gods fought on their side and when you lost it meant that your god lost too and your god was the inferior god and so that has to be swirling around in his mind, in Israel's mind. Yahweh, the one true God, the one who causes things to be the way they are, is weaker than the God of the Philistines, than Dagon. How would you respond to this kind of tragedy? I mean, imagine, imagine if the news you got was they said, hey, three million Americans, they were killed by a foreign army. What? And not only that, but your entire family is dead. What? And not only that, but they've outlawed all religious expression whatsoever. Take the crosses down, don't go to church anymore. It's all done. How should we respond to tragedy? How does Eli respond to tragedy? Verse 18, as soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel for 40 years. There is a lot in there. Eli fell back in his seat. It says he was very old, but he was also very large. Now, now the Bible's not fat shaming him. What's happening here? This is an agrarian, barely out of the stone age society. You lived hand to mouth. Uh, people only got fat if they were in positions of power. And we knew from the previous text, as we've worked through First Samuel, that Sam or uh, that Eli's family and Hophni and Phineas would essentially steal. The sacrifices that were meant to God to feed themselves. So he got fat off of ill-gotten gains. He got fat off of his thievery. And not only that, I believe the Bible is true. I believe it is inerrant, inspired by God. I believe this is historical. I believe it also happened. But I also believe that it's a piece of literature. And the reason that the writer of 1 Samuel kept a few details in here was so that we would have an understanding of what's happening. And so he mentions his weight to say, yes. He he has injured himself in doing this. But what a... Ta- I mean, this might, this might only appeal to some of you. So I'm sorry for saying this if you're like, I don't really care one way or the other. I just want to go peacefully. But how do you want to go? Like when you die, how do you want to go? Right? Do you, like this is an, an absolutely embarrassing. This is almost the equivalent of dying on the toilet, right? This is such an undignified way to go. It's just awful. And all of Israel tells the story. In fact, everyone who reads First Samuel now knows the story. He died because he fell out of his chair and he was so large he broke his own neck. Wow, that, what an undignified way to go, right? It's just terrible. Nobody wants to, to go out that way. Years ago, uh, my neighbor, when I was a teenager, my neighbors were making potato launchers. Anyone know, see a potato launcher before? I didn't know what they were. They're like, hey, Nate, come on down. So I go down and they're like shooting these potato launchers. Now, basically, it's a piece of PVC pipe. You have a larger chamber and some sort of flint that can make a spark. You open up the chamber, you spray something in there, hairspray, butane, however dangerous you decide to be, close it back up. And then you ram a potato down the front You aim it and you shoot it, and it sounds like a shotgun. You're like, oh my goodness, right? And the thing flies, and it's like, oh wow. And they're horsing around with these things. And then I realize these guys are messing around with this dangerous thing too much. And I am going there. One of these guys is gonna be like, hey, let's mess around and point it at Nathan, right? And all I could see was on my tombstone, died from potato. Just the most undignified way to go. And, and so I, I left because I was it was fun and everything. But I was like, there's, they were not being safe. And I was like, there is no way I'm dying by a potato. How did he die? You know, like you have friends and family members or people that you kind of knew and they pass away and you don't know what happened, right? And no one wants to talk about it. I have people I was very close with. No one will talk about it. I'm like, I don't know what happened. And it like grates at you, right? Man, the family like, all right, I'm going to tell you the secret. died by potato. (laughs) How did he choke while at a restaurant? No, it's worse than that. Eli, I mean, it's the absolute most undignified way to go. It's terrible. The other thing to mention here is it says that he was sitting. He was sitting. This is the second time in this text it mentioned he was sitting, but the first time we saw him in 1 Samuel 1, he was also sitting when he misidentified what Hannah's problem was. Now again, I believe this is a historical document, but it's also a literary document. And I believe that God the Holy Spirit appreciates good literature and details like that. There's no reason to include those details unless he's trying to tell us something. This is showing us, I think, that Eli's entire ministry, he was sitting down on the job. Everything he did. Why didn't he go with the ark? He's the judge. He is essentially the high priest. He is the representative of God to the people. And why didn't he go out with the ark? And you're like, oh, well, he was old. He was in his late 90s. So you can't expect the old guy to go out there. And you know what I say to that? That's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. There are a ton of Christian believers who have worked up until their very old age. So you have Elizabeth Elliot. She was like 96 when she says, all right, I'm retired from ministry. And you know what? She didn't retire from ministry. She continued to mentor young women until the day she died. Uh, you have Billy Graham again, another 96-year-old. He gave his last sermon at 96, and that was it. We never heard again from Billy Graham. No, that's not true. He continued to preach until the end. You have Chuck Colson. I, what a great story! Here there was the it was a a political mean, nasty person. He encountered Christ. He repented of his sins. He went to jail for Watergate, but while in jail, he realized God was calling him to bring pi- prison ministry to people, to bring the hope of the gospel into the prisons. And how did, when did Chuck Colson die? Chuck Colson died mm. preaching a message, collapsed on stage. They are taking him out, and he's apologizing for ruining everyone's weekend while he's dying, <laughs> And then you have John Perkins. He's still with us. He's the only one with us. He's in his mid to late 90s at this point. He's retired like a dozen times. And you could go and you could find talks that he's still giving to this day as he's talking about the gospel of Christ reconciling people. So like, don't, I mean, I'm a young guy, so you might say, well, it's easy for you to say you're young and spry. Well, yeah, but, but, Those brothers and sisters in Christ didn't stop. And here Eli, he's sitting on the wrong side of the city, not with the ark of God. And how does he respond to calamity? He dies an embarrassing death. How should we respond to calamity? Well, I guess that's it. God doesn't care anymore. God doesn't love me. There's no more power. There's no more anything. I'm just going to die. I'm just going to give up hope. That's what Eli does. But it gets worse. Verse 19, now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant, about to give birth. And by the way, she absolutely knew that her her, uh, husband was not a good man. If we know in the text, and the whole city knew, she knows as well. She was pregnant, about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman attending her said to her, don't be afraid, for you have born a son. Now, culturally, what that meant was you gave birth to a son. Your family lineage will go on. Your name will go on. It will continue. Your family has a a history. It has a future. It's kind of hard for us to understand because we don't think in those terms as much anymore in 21st century America, but, but it really mattered to them. So they were saying, hey, you're, you're dying here, but you have a son. Your name's going to go on. I think the analogy would be like, look, I, personally, I, I don't really have a fear of death. I really don't. I, maybe means of death, I don't want to die a horrible, grisly death. But, but dying, eh, you know, whatever. The thing I'm scared about would be dying and leaving my family. I I want to take care of them. I want to protect them. But if I were dying and I knew that my family would be taken care of, I think I'd be okay with it, as hard as it would be. So even though I'm dying, I think I would have some hope. How does the daughter-in-law of Eli respond to this tragedy? Does she have some amount of hope? No. The second part of verse 20, she said, but she did not answer or pay attention. Verse 21 And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God has been captured, and because of her father in law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Ichabod. We all know that name around here. It means the glory is departed, the glory is gone. God is gone. We also use the word glory synonymously, often in scriptures, uh, talking about heaven. And what does she name him? Anti-heaven. Hell. That's how much hope she has. None. All hope is gone. How did Eli and his family respond to their calamity? They responded by giving up all hope. But that's not the right thing to do. And we know it's not. Israel started out good, they, they, they wailed, and they cried. But then their leaders, oh my goodness, they just, they just, all hope is gone, there is no more hope. But we've learned from them. How should we respond to tragedy? How should we respond to the calamity when it comes into our lives? We should respond to calamity by trusting in God. Yes, through tears, through pain, through wails, through cries. But we choose to trust God in the midst of the world falling apart around us, in the midst of our health falling apart, in the midst of our loved ones falling apart, in the midst of our finances being lost, in the midst of our house burning down, in the midst of the church burning down. We choose to have trust. We choose to have faith and say, even though it is last minute, even though it's past the last minute, I'm choosing to believe that God is working. I will trust God even if no one else does. Even if someone says I'm weird, even if someone says I'm foolish, I will choose to trust God in the midst of this. That's the lesson we learned from Eli and his family, what not to do. I, uh, I got to tell you, I, I, I consume like Christian literature and, and books and podcasts and all this stuff. And uh, a number of years ago, I made a very conscious decision that I am done with any fear-based Christian media, like just done. Because there was, I could name drop, I'm not going to, because you guys are smart and you can be discerning, but I would listen to podcasts. There's some of the top Christian podcasts out there and I'd listen to them and after a while I'm realizing that I'm like really feeling anxious and then I'm, I'm, I'm listening to what's going on there and, and here it is, they're like, okay here's this horrible thing happening in society, negative, negative, negative. And there's a lot of negative things. I am not a person to say, oh, positive thinking, just think positive. No, there's a lot of negatives out there. And then they would, you know, the end of it would be like all doom and gloom. It's all over. You better vote the right way, whatever that means. (laughs) And it's just awful. It's podcasts, I would dump them. I'm done. Books, Like, I keep all my books. I I have a very hard time getting rid of books, but I've determined those books that are all doom and gloom and the world's coming to an end and it's all awful unless you act the right way and do the right kind of thing and, you know, unless we fight the right way, I'm done with them. They're gone. They're in the trash. I don't even, like, give them for donation because I don't want someone to read them, right? They're in the trash or recycled if, if possible. Why? Because There is nothing wrong with acknowledging the bad things that are happening. Israel did the right thing in weeping and wailing. We should acknowledge the hardships we have in our lives, the difficulties that we have in our lives and in the world around us. However, as followers of Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified and rose again and promised that he's coming again, we should be people of hope. We should be people that say, though the darkness is dark, the light is coming. I know that he is coming because he was raised from the dead. I know that he was raised from the dead because he lives in my heart. I have hope. And that's the funny thing with that word trust. I'm using the word trust instead of faith. It's the same word. But almost, almost anywhere in the Bible where you see faith, you can translate it trust. And I think that's a better, more concrete word. I trust. That God is working. I trust that even though the world is crumbling around me, burning around me, my loved ones are sick and dying, I am choosing to trust that God is working. He didn't spare his own son for my sake, for your sake. If he gave Jesus for us, do you think he just came and said, okay, I'm going to redeem you, you are my sons and daughters, now I want nothing to do with you? No. He loves you. He cares for you. He cares for us. I had a friend. He used to say, "You know, sometimes, more often than not, God comes in at the last minute." And my wife just recently pointed out, "No, God comes often after the last minute. He didn't come before Lazarus died. <laughs> he came after Lazarus died." So sometimes it's like, man, all hope is lost. It's all, but God still has a plan and a purpose. I don't understand what it is, but I'm going to trust him. And if he doesn't come through for me in this life, I know he will in the next. And one day, King Jesus will return to the earth, and he will wipe every tear from our eyes personally. There will be no more tears of sorrow and pain, only tears of joy and laughter and unity. So, My guess is most of us have tragedies and calamities that we have faced, we are facing, or we will face soon. Weep, cry, scream to the heavens. That is a healthy thing to do. Grieve and mourn. But one more thing we need to do. Choose to trust God. Right now, the Spirit of God is saying to you, As your finances are ruined, the Spirit of God is saying, trust in me. As your children make terrible mistakes, the Spirit of God says, trust in me. As you have uncertainty about the future, the Spirit of God says, trust in me. As your health falls apart, and you are in so much pain, the Spirit of God is saying, trust in me. As you watched loved ones go through pain and anguish and agony, and you don't understand what God is doing, the Spirit of God is saying to you right now, trust in me. As your marriage falls apart, God says, trust in me. King Jesus came lived the perfect life you and I can't live, died the death you and I deserve, and rose again and will come again with glory. Trust in him. He loves you. He cares for you. We don't say like Eli's family, the glory has the- departed. We say the glory is here. The glory is coming. When you face calamity, choose trust in God. Trust God more than the calamity. Fear God more than you fear the calamity. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can come and we can go through a difficult text like this, but it's true. It's real. It's raw. There are so many in this room right now, they are facing their own personal calamities and the personal calamities in their lives and their personal hardships. And they're tired. We're tired. We're exhausted. We are overwhelmed. We don't know what you're doing. And it doesn't make sense. Father God, help us to trust you. Help us to choose to trust you even when It would just be easier to rage at the situation. Father, I pray for us as a congregation. I pray that you'll comfort us as we choose to trust you. I pray that even when you don't give us answers or you don't answer our prayers as we would desire that you would answer them, Yet still we choose to trust you and yet still we are filled with the Holy Spirit knowing that King Jesus has risen from the dead and lives forevermore and one day King Jesus will come and make all things new. Help us to trust you. Even when we're tired, even when we're stressed out, even when we're grieving. And as we trust you, send the Holy Spirit, fill us with your supernatural peace and comfort, not that comes from the situation, but that comes from your spirit, Father God. It's in Jesus' name that I thank you and pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the church or make an online donation, please visit us at fbcterrytown.org.